A few weeks ago, uh, for no reason at all, the Lord just gave me the words, wake up church. And um, I didn't know what that meant. I thought, okay, well, that's, uh, you're giving me a title of a message. And I knew that eventually Greg and Michael would be going to Nigeria and, and all of that. And there would be a time that the Lord would have me say something. But he didn't give me anything further on it. And then when Greg booked the trip, um, and I knew that, that the actual plan for me to say something or to preach a, and teach a word was going to come, I said, okay, Lord, what do you have for that? What does that mean? Wake up church, wake up church. And he, be as I began to pray into that, he began to reveal different things about it. But it's not maybe what you think. Um, it isn't, um, well, you'll, you'll just see. Uh, one of the things that the Lord's been showing me as I've been studying and just, just looking at the life of Jesus has been that how the people responded to him. You know, the greatest manifestation of the Father is Jesus. Jesus said in, in the Gospel of John, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? So the, studying the life of Jesus and, and what he did and how he interacted with the people and how the people responded to him. We know John the Baptist paved the way and, and, and preached ahead of Jesus' ministry. But I, I find it so astounding when I look at the reactions of, of people and um, the good and the bad. I'm, I'm amazed at the, the belief that the people had, but I'm shocked and stunned at the leadership of the so-called church at the time that constantly taught and preached and showed people that there was a coming Messiah. And yet, when the coming Messiah came, because he didn't fit into the box that they put together in their minds and in their teachings, he not only wasn't received and wasn't believed, but he became a threat to their very existence, which was so amazing. So I was looking at a couple of, of scriptures, and I'm, I'm going to refer to a couple, and then I might take you to a couple. Um, did we ever get the NIV? Okay, so we may, you can just put ESV up, but I'm going to be an NIV, so we can, so if you're going to only use the screen, you may want to use your own uh, Bible this morning and um, be able to follow along. But, uh, but there's a couple of places that Jesus was reacted to that I thought was really interesting. Um, you know, in John 5, when Jesus healed a lame man, they immediately reacted with, uh, they missed the miracle all the time. And that was one of the things that amazed me. They would miss the miracle and then they would begin to immediately criticize what didn't fall in line with the law. When the lame man was healed, and Jesus said to pick up his mat, and, and the man is carrying his mat. The only thing the Pharisees and, and the scribes said at that time was, you can't pick up your mat. You can't do any work on the Sabbath. How can you do this? And then other times, multiple times, they said that he was demon-possessed because of the power that he was exhibiting. And they were quick to give darkness and Satan power to what his works were, but not anything to God, and that he could be of God. And um, so I found that in John 9, which is um, where I wanted to take you, there's a couple of different places, but in John chapter 9, um, I just found this so interesting, because it's all throughout. I mean, in John chapter 8, that's where Jesus really laid into them about the fact that, you know, you are, you are completely blind, and you are not... Um, <coughs> 
children of Abraham, you are actually, your father is, is the devil because you, you're only willing to believe lies. And, um, and of course, he says in, in, uh, in chapter 8, verses 44, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaks lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus did not hold back. Um, last night in the prayer call, when Bryn used the word disruptor, she said Jesus came to disrupt. Boy, no joke. He came to tell the truth. And the truth shouldn't have been a disruption, but it was because of how tainted the truth had become. And uh, it, turning just straight into lies. But in John chapter 9... You see that Jesus heals a man that's born blind. And the reason I just want to take you here is because it just kind of lays the foundation of the sad state that, um, that the reaction of the, of the people had. So Jesus is, is going along and um, he sees this man that is, is blind and he's near the pool of um, Salome. And, uh, you know, he... He says basically to go and wash in the pool of Siloam and, and he comes back and healed. So I'm going to take you uh, to verse 8. His neighbors, and, and again, I'm in the NIV, but his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself said, I am the man. Verse 10. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is the man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man that, who, who had been uh, blind. And then in verse 14, it says, Now on the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, it was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And again, the man is explaining. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and that he had received his sight. For they sent, And then they sent for his parents. In verse 19, he says, they asked him, the, his parents, is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. They were very intimidated, by the way, that they were getting grilled by all of this. And in verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And the man replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, 
I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> I just love that. I love that. He's like, look, why don't we just stick with the basics? Something miraculous happened to me. You want to dissect it to fit into your mindset, into the model of the what you can fathom and understand. But I'm telling you, I was born blind and now I can see. Let's, let's look, look at the, the miracle here. And they were just not willing to. So then when they had hurled, let's look at verse 28. Um, I'm sorry, verse 27. He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why did you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly, a godly man who does his will. Oh, man, out of the mouth of, of babes or immature people, right? Nobody, verse 32, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I find it so amazing that this man is basically saying, who has ever even heard of something like this? Who's ever even heard of this? Isn't this the power that we talk about that God has? And yet when we see it before us, it, it just doesn't fit into our thinking. Now that's just one example. There are so many different examples. But I have to say, you know, we've talked a lot about the church at Laodicea. And... One of the dangers, when I think about the bride or the church that has fallen asleep, the sleepiness is equal to lukewarmness in the church at Laodicea. But the danger in the Laodicean church is that they became very self-sufficient. This is a wealthy church. They kind of had a feather in their cap because they had uh, a medical breakthrough on this eye salve that had helped so many people. So they were seeing that the blessings and all the things that came from God were not attributed to God, and God was not given the glory for it. And they became very complacent and very lukewarm. And that's a dangerous place to be, and I know Greg preached on that recently. But the Laodicean church, and a lot of the bride today, are easily wooed to sleep because of a few different factors. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, that I feel like the Lord is showing me where we have fallen asleep and where we can easily fall asleep. This is not about um, a, an indictment on all churches that don't have the enlightenment and what God has shown ignition and that, you know, they just need to be more like that. No, it's not about that at all. We, we are in danger of being wooed to sleep in any aspect that is not 100% given to God. And it's such a dangerous place to be. So we're not going to turn to Revelation. We're not going to look at, at the church at Laodicea. But I tell you, I really believe that there are three areas that if we don't wake up to these areas, they will, they will put us in a place where we have a deadness and a sleepiness that is, is devastating. 
and has no impact at all for God. You know, people that feed themselves on things that have never happened, which I see time and time again, the Pharisees in, in, the, Old, in the New Testament just reacting to, we've never seen this before. And so therefore they attribute it to, to Satan's power. And the church does that today too. Well, well that just must be de- demonic because that, that, kind of, that kind of manifestation can't be of God. We've never seen, we've never seen that before, so therefore it, it doesn't happen. And, um, and you, have to have, you have to have discerning of spirits to discern what is of God and what is not of God. But um, people that feed on all the things that they've never seen or all the things that God hasn't done are in great, great danger of A, creating a spirit of offense, which is why the scribes and Pharisees were so offended, so indignant at the fact that, that someone would come in and demonstrate a power that they had not seen, that didn't fit into their their box and, and didn't fit into, um, it basically was a threat beyond their power because what they cling to and, and what they taught actually brought them the power in the human realm. They were very highly influential. That's why people were intimidated to be put out of the synagogue because there was a lot of... Uh, uh, who you know kind of political power that was going on there. They were highly influential people, even in seeing people prosecuted at that day, in that day, which of course is why they were the ones that were guilty of, of accusing and then crucifying Jesus. So it's not only the spirit of offense that can come, but when you focus and feed on what God has not done or what you've not ever seen God do, do you know that it actually legitimizes and justifies a spirit of unbelief? that you do not feel any conviction for because you just determine by leaning and reasoning on your own understanding that if it's never been done, it's not ever done. And so then we begin to, uh, and I was talking actually in the car this morning with Yvonne, using an example of people that still exist, believe it or not, not too many, but in some places. I have a distant relative that's kind of like this. They have never used the current technology. So therefore, it does not exist. There are still some people that do not, because of whatever reasons, maybe financial, maybe where they live, maybe just not wanting to be open to new things, but they are not aware of what access a cell phone brings them. There are still some people that actually believe that being able to talk face-to-face through a little gadget is something of Star Trek, you know, from, well, back when I used to say, I remember the, the people that could talk face-to-face, this whole concept of picture television in the 1970s when Star Trek was, you know, young. I just thought, that's just, that's the, the super crazy. Like, even the people that thought of it for the show were, were some kind of geniuses to come up with the fact that, you know, it'll certainly never exist and be in the mainstream. But somebody that's never seen it, doesn't use it, could easily say that it doesn't exist. Well, I don't, you know, I don't possess any of that. I don't have any access to that. And so therefore, because it's not a part of my world and it doesn't affect me, it's not what happens. And how often do we do that in the spiritual? We often say, we often just live and our existence is what God doesn't do, what we've never seen God do. And so therefore, that's, that's the reality that, that we form our belief on or unbelief on. And it's so, so, so dangerous. Um, James one twenty one 
says that we're to receive with meekness the implanted, the engrafted word that, that God puts in our, in our hearts. And, and the engrafted word, um, an implanted word, is able to save your own souls. And I really, one of the things that God's shown me so strongly is there is so much unbelief that pertains to our very salvation. So I was, I was just talking to the Lord last night. I said, Lord, what, tell me something about what you've given me this morning. Tell me what, like, I just, I just want to hear from you about what, what you want to say. And, and he, he took me to the simplest beginning which is the word salvation. You know, the, the word really was two words, the word salvation and the word Christian. And most of us in this room or, or listening online would say, yes, I'm, I'm a believer. I, I asked Jesus in my heart, I'm saved. Okay, I'm saved. Whatever, whatever term you want to use. I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, or I'm saved. Let's think about for a moment what that means. First of all, a believer is it's normal for a believer to believe, right? That's, that's why you're called a believer. You had to have believed. There was a certain measure of faith. We said this downstairs this morning. You had to have a, enough faith to accept God because by grace are you saved through faith. You can't invite Jesus into your heart without faith. Faith is, is how you accept Christ. But when you think about what salvation is, if I am saved, I am the implication there is that I am saved out of something to something. What, are, what, are, what, are, what have you been saved from? I was saved from my destination hell. I was saved from my sin. I was saved out of a life, meaningless life, going nowhere. I was saved out of the grips of the enemy. You know, you come to this understanding where you're like, okay, I need to be saved. I need Jesus. So what are we saved out of? Okay, we're saved out of that. But now, or what are we saved into? He saved us into a life that he wants us to live. And I think what happens is we kind of stop at, at this, this ticket to heaven destination where we say, okay, I've got my, I've got my, the right direction. I'm, I've got my ticket. I'm going to heaven. And, and everything kind of stops there. That's not a believer. That's just a person who has secured their guaranteed destination ticket. And there's a big, big difference in a believer continuing to go on and believe. And so I was thinking about, wow, if we just would believe in our own conversion, if you're saved, what are you, if, if I'm saved out of something into something, I mean, the whole concept of what salvation is, is that I am born, again, I'm born new. I'm born into something brand new. And so I started mulling around what that means. I am a new Person. I am born into the family of God. That is what I was saved into. Now, in my, in my case, I was saved as a young person. So I don't have a dramatic testimony of a lot of um, evil deeds that even though my heart was wicked, uh, when I asked Jesus into my life, I was 11 years old. And there was plenty of wickedness up to 11 years old. But because of the you know, confinement of, of my Christian family that I was brought up in, I didn't have a, as many opportunities to act in ways that some other testimonies are. But I was saved out of the, the same amount of evil and the same amount of wickedness in my heart that anyone else is. And I remember knowing that, wow, okay, I am born again. I am, I am now a new person. 
And what you do with that, what you recognize God to be in your life, is has everything to do with whether you're going to just be wooed to sleep. There's a lot of people that have their destination tickets that are walking around in a coma, hurting, hurting the cause of Christ, who are completely asleep almost to the point of, of dead in, in that sense because of the fact that they don't even understand what they, what they got. Another cord, another cord breaking, breaking apart here. We hopefully won't lose this one. But there are three areas where, um, I don't know why the Lord gives me threes. I don't really seek them out. I said, Lord, wherever you want to go with this, we'll just talk in generalities. I'll mention some scriptures. Um, but he did give me three things. And I thought, okay, thank you, Lord. You just indulged me because I kind of like the three-point three uh, uh, sermons. But he reminded me of three things that are really key to what we need to wake up to. And they're basic. They're really basic. You know, there's no reason for a church to be dead. There's no reason for... For Christians to not be uh, drawing the world to them as a as a uh, an answer for a real experience, but yet it happens all the time. There's people hungry. Somebody was just praying on the women's uh, for the prayer call for the the women's conference, praying that God, people are hungry for something real. They're hungry for a real experience with you. Why is it that Christians aren't that the answer? Why is it that if we've been saved out of something into something new, why is it that that newness isn't appealing to the world? What we've been saved into. But it's because we don't, we don't even see, we don't even believe for what we've been saved into. There's almost just been this, this blinder over our eyes. And we need to recognize three things. First of all, it's, it's who God says he is. You know, when I look at who God says that he is, First of all, that will ignite a fire in you more than anything else. And again, I'm talking to believers because believers, you are a believer enough to receive Christ into your life. So what else do you believe God for? Do you only believe that he can take you to heaven, but that he cannot transform your life? He's big enough for you to, for, to take you to heaven, but he's not big enough to take care of every other thing in your life that you need to deal with. See, there are rules, if you will. There are um, paradigms there are norms of this realm okay the human realm the fallen realm that that adam when he gave it away the first adam was adam in the garden and then the last adam of course was jesus who came to take back what adam gave away so in this realm when sin entered into this realm this this human realm became fallen then there is the spirit realm or what we're to be seeking all the time which is the kingdom we're to seek the kingdom and his righteousness the kingdom realm is the king's realm the king domain the domain of the king of kings there are rules here there are ways of thinking there are laws here and there are kingdom laws when we were born again we were born into the kingdom as a child of god in that realm so when romans 12 2 talks about don't conform to this world 12 1 and 2 don't be conformed to this world but be renewed in your mind transformed by the renewing of your mind okay so that you can prove approve and prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of god we are to think differently because of the faith because of the the, the family adoption that we have and when we look at 
this kingdom realm that we're born into. If you're born again, don't you want to know who your father is? Don't you want to know who your new family is? When somebody's adopted into a family, they get to know their family. They get to know who's parenting me now. And God and who he is, that's one of the most humbling things. Now, you, we could go, there's probably every single verse in scripture will tell you who God is. But I'm going to highlight a couple really fast for you here. You don't even have to turn. You can look. I told her to go as fast as she wants to here. <laughs> but 1 John 1, 5, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of a man that he should change his mind. Psalm 18, oh, all through the Psalms. And I'm just giving you a couple as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Verse 34 of Psalm 18. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. John 4.24 says God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Deuteronomy 4.31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. Oh, Psalm 46.10. Be still, God says, and know that I am God. I mean, on and on and on. The last one I'll mention. I am the Lord your God. For, uh, Isaiah 43.13. I am the Lord your God who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens and who spread the earth out by himself. If you just look at Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. He created the heavens and the earth. Then you can look at, uh, and if you ever want a copy of this, I can get you a copy of this. It's a fantastic little um, concise uh, study of the names of God that's really, really great. But just looking at the names of God. He's our creator from Genesis 1.1. Uh, Elohim, he's Elohim, he's the most high sovereign God from Genesis 14. He's El Roy, the God who sees. Adonai, he's our Lord and master. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. Yahweh, Jehovah, the self-existent one. On and on and on. Who God says he is. Do you believe who God says he is? That's so significant. That is one of the things that when we fall asleep and we become... Um, kind of in a, in a spiritual coma, we start to lose what God says about himself. And so I got to thinking, why did that happen? I do believe God is, says who, you know, is who he says he is. I believe every one of you believe that God is who he says he is. So then why do we, why do we fall away? And I think there's a few different reasons. First of all, there are competing voices that hit us all the time. You know, there's constant suggestions all the time suggesting things that are opposite of what God, who God is. And there's a constant temptation. Starting from the Garden of Eden, when Satan first came as a serpent to test, his first temptation is, did God really say that? Did God really say that? He posed a question, and right away, he tempted with a, did God really say that? How many times have you wondered and questioned, is God really who he says he is? Is he really who he says he is? And that belief is a, is a dangerous, uh, listening to any kinds of those questions can be really dangerous. So, and I'm jumping around here. I hope you can follow my brain this morning. Um, 
But when I looked at Laodicea and I looked at the, the cold-hearted Pharisees and I look at the church today and why it's lifeless and dead, and I thought, you know, they had some common denominators. One of the things that was in Laodicea is, is a self-sufficiency and the blessing of God that God allowed over the church of Laodicea caused them to be self-sufficient. And there was a self-sufficiency in the knowledge of the law that was taught by the prophet, by, by the Pharisees and the scribes. So when they were in the tabernacle, they were they felt pretty good about themselves for teaching and for you know being politically uh, heavy uh, and being uh, influential and powerful things that they had gained uh, in this human realm. And it made me think of something that that the Lord showed me recently, which is, you know, we don't mind. We, we recognize that there is some sort of dependency. Like, we got to go to church. We probably pray times when we need to pray, and we read our Bible as a broad, a, a broad understanding of, of the church today. But when there isn't a hunger, when there isn't a desperation, when there is um, sometimes even the, the blessing of God that he allows us to be tested... We find ourselves living as Christians when we're, we're getting our church on and we're, we're do-gooding good, do the things that we know to do as Christians with the label. But then when we live our lives on a daily basis, we actually live like what's called practical atheists. It's like, I believe God for this stuff because that's, you know, I mean, I trust him, I go to church. But, but to let him invade every decision to begin to think like him, to begin to need him for everything, I'm, I'm doing fine. I mean, I, you know, I'm smart. I, I got a decent job. I, you know, I can handle most decisions. And, and so in that part of my life, I'm kind of, I'm living more like a practical atheist that doesn't need God, doesn't believe that God needs to be in that part of my life. And it's so deceptive. There's like this loss of hunger. We become this self-sufficient. And that's what happened to Laodicea. They became so lukewarm. God said, man, be either hot or cold. You know, either be blatantly not walking with the Lord so that the world can see, look, they are, they are absolutely not Christians. Or be on fire and show. But, but to just be lukewarm, to just do the status quo is so, it's such an infecting kind of attitude. Because it, it lets people kind of see a smoke and mirrors like, okay, well, I guess that's, I guess that's okay. And, and, and it, what it does is it makes people very, very susceptible to listening to the lies. Because, see, when we're not on fire, when we're not hungry, we can easily be, when we're introduced with these, these questions and these temptations, we can easily be like, well, yeah, I, I, that's something to consider. See, it's really, really dangerous sometimes to even entertain the questions of the enemy. To even entertain, and a lot of error in the church, when you look at church history through the years and what has caused the church to, to go so far from God, it started with people that just posed questions that were analyzed. Is this really necessary? Is it, is it really necessary to, to teach water baptism? Is that, is that something that's, you know, really something we have? Is purity really included? I mean, shouldn't we maybe, do you, do you think that every, do you think that God meant all of that in scripture? Could it be that, could it be that that's just for a particular time in scripture and that maybe, maybe that doesn't happen anymore? And all of a sudden we begin to entertain those thoughts and it's 
so demonic. And it's, it's just, Satan just turns out the same deception, by the way. Just the same deception. It's, it's the same all the way back from the Garden of Eden. So we have to know, we have to wake up and, and know that God is who he says he is. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And Jesus is the greatest manifestation of the Father. So studying his life, he came to prove who he was, that he was the Messiah. And he came to do the will of the Father. And I just, I love studying Jesus and how, how he lived and, and how he responded to people. It's just amazing. But we do have to be very, very careful that, um, that we not be lulled to sleep. And even now in our lives, I think it's easy to let certain areas just kind of be lulled to sleep a little bit and to not think it's a big deal. And that's why I love the verse, and I believe it's 2 Corinthians 10, 12, that is um, 12, 10 or 10, 12. Uh, Wherefore, let him that thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. Mm. You know, our the next thing, before I even make this point, the next thing, we need to believe who God says he is, and then we need to believe that God, what God's, who God says we are, who God says he is, but we need to wake up to who God says we are. Many of us have no issue with who God says he is. But there's doubt all over the place when it comes to who he says we are. And if we knew who we were, I mean, powerlessness would just be unacceptable in our lives. Yeah. Fear would be unacceptable in our lives. When you just look at Ephesians, Ephesians alone will blow your mind to pieces that the spirit of wisdom and revelation that he gave us, that the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within us when we are born into the family of God through salvation. That is incredible. That is incredible. But we don't, we don't believe God for what he placed there. We don't recognize our identity in him. And I will tell you something. I want to show you something that's really interesting. Let's go to Luke. Let's go to... Um, Actually, no, it's in Luke as well, but let's go to Matthew because it's a little bit more concise. Matthew 3, we're going to go to 16 and 17 in Matthew chapter 3. And this is a familiar passage of scripture, but I want you to see how these two things connect. It's just kind of was exciting to me when I saw this. In Matthew chapter 3. You've got, that's the end of the chapter. Okay, so Matthew chapter 3 you know, talks about uh, Jesus... Um, coming in and getting baptized and he came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And so it says in verse 16, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him, I am well pleased, depending on your translation, with whom I am well pleased. So God, the father declares the identity of the son openly upon his baptism. How awesome. He declared his identity. Okay. Now when you flip a page and go right to the next chapter of Matthew four, look at the very beginning of Matthew four. So he's, the father is declaring over him, this is who you are. Then Jesus, chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
the tempter, okay, Satan came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, command or tell these stones to become bread. Right away, after the declaration of his identity, okay, and the, the, the spirit coming upon him, because that was the, really the mark, the beginning of, of, his, of his, the power that he was going to have in his ministry. The Holy Spirit allowed him to then be tested. And again, don't think that the Holy Spirit won't lead us into opportunities to demonstrate the faith that we say we have, that we believe in our hearts that we have, but that need to be solidified deep within us so that they become a part of our every fiber of our being. So he then went into a conflict and had the opportunity to respond to the testing and the temptation. But isn't it interesting? The very, right after his identity was declared, Satan came and said, if you really are the son of God, then do this and do that. And of course, Jesus responded with the word, with the word. I love that even that first answer that Jesus said, man's not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I love that. That speaks to me that yes, we're not going to just live by the sustenance that God does provide, okay? He provides for us. But where our true life is lived, especially in the conflict, by, yes, the word of God, but also by the very present tense, real-time, revelatory word that he speaks to us in relationship with us. It is that word. It always will be in sync with the word of God, the written word of God. But it is, it's that transformative, real, he speaks to me, I speak back. It's like, it's an amazing thing. That is where our very life comes from. That is what transforms us. And our identity in who we are is, is absolutely going to be tested. But do you believe, you know, God speaks identity over you every single day in the word when you read it but also in his love that he pours out for us every single day. So who are we? Who, who am I in Christ? I am, first of all, I am loved. I am loved, not, not just as part of the world, even though, yes, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to pay for my sins. I am, I am paid for. My sin has been blotted out. I've been paid for and washed clean. I am loved. I am I am redeemed. I am restored. I am forgiven. I am given power and boldness. And I mean, just the list goes on and on. All the fruits of the spirit are available to me but as long as I stay attached to the vine. There is so much about our identity that we need to know. When all authority was given to Jesus and then Jesus said, I'm going to give this to you to tread, to tread on snakes and scorpions. Jesus gave all the authority through his name and by his spirit to us. And yet, and I, and I know that I, I understand this because it, it, it hits us in our humanity. And yet we often get shaken by the one who has no authority. We are the atmosphere shifters. You know, when you look at an atmosphere and we think, okay, pray over the atmosphere. Yes, pray over the atmosphere. But remember, if greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, 
I shift the atmosphere because of the spirit of God in me. I invade the darkness because of the light of, of, that is within me. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Well, his light was placed within me. So now I can be the light in the world that shines as a Jesus carrier. What does it even mean to be a Christian, a Christian, someone who carries Christ? Those are things that, as God's kind of been just, just highlighting to me, this kingdom realm mentality and this human realm mentality and the laws within both. There are ways that we operate. There are ways that we think and that we function that are only human realm. But we're not part of this realm. We're stuck here, okay? But we're foreigners in this land. We really are part of a kingdom that has new ways of think. That's why when God says, we're we, but we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians. We have the mind of Christ. Our mind is to be renewed and transformed so that the things of the kingdom then can be transferred by faith to operate here through us. You know, when I was looking at the kingdom, and, and think about this. Listen. Listen for a moment. Just think about what this is. This king, these kingdom rules that, that we, we live by. See, we are to live by the way that the kingdom operates, not by the way this world operates. The kingdom says less is more. The kingdom's rules say that a boy's lunch, only five loaves and two fishes, can feed 5,000 plus women and children when it's blessed by God. See, because in the kingdom's realm, there is no lack. In our realm, more is just more. And you got to get all you can get because you got to get more. Okay? In the, in the kingdom realm, the meek inherit the earth said on the Sermon of the Mount, on the Beatitudes, okay? But in the, in the earthly realm, the powerful inherit, and they get it at whatever cost, even if it's to stomp on somebody's head to get there. See, there are, there are mentalities, there are basic paradigms. And if we're a Jesus carrier, we have to recognize that we need to take the kingdom and bring it to earth by how we think, by how we invade the, the influence of the atmosphere of which we're called to. But we've, we've got to be kingdom carriers. There's so many different laws. To have much, you actually, uh, to, have, uh, to have little is much in, in the kingdom of God. God. God says, you know, you have to bow low. If you want to be lifted up, come in low. That's the exact opposite in the human realm. Man, you've got you to gotta make, yourself, make yourself high. You know, make your name. If you want to be lifted up, you make your name. That's not, that's not the law of the kingdom. Another thing that's interesting, if you want to receive, you give. I'll tell you right now, if you're not tithing, then you're living in the human realm. And I get that, because humanly speaking, how in the world can I give? I don't have enough for myself. It's not adding up here. If I give what I don't have, I'm going to be in lack. That's what the human realm says. The kingdom realm says, if you give unto me, I can repay and restore and redeem. I can make plenty out of the little bit that you give. I can turn your finances into the same amount of plenty that I did that boy's lunch. That's the kingdom realm. So when we think about who we are in Christ, we've got to recognize there is a human realm that is going to fight against. It's going to remind us of all of our lack, of what we're not, of what we can't do, of the limitations, of our illnesses, of our aches, of our pains, of our fears. And that may all be true, but what is the last song we just sang? I was trembling back there to 
think of the words. Go to the bridge. If you can pull that song up, go to the bridge. Um, Spirit, lead me where my feet would never wander. I think it starts right there. Do not sing these words lightly. These are heavy, heavy words. If you sing these words, the testimony of what Jesus can do is the spirit of prophecy out of your own mouth. You are prophesying over your own mouth. And God, the spirit of God will lead you into testing if you want to sing this song, but yet you don't necessarily mean it. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Okay, I'm already freaking out. If I don't have any borders on my trust, that means I'm out there. I am out there. Okay, let me walk upon, like Peter, the waters, wherever you'd call me. You're already walking on water, so you're already freaking out, humanly speaking. These are kingdom laws. See, these are, this is kingdom realm. You're, you're, you're learning what, like the Lord's Prayer said. Thy kingdom come, thy will in the kingdom realm be done on earth as it is in heaven. And by faith, the currency of faith, I'm going to pay for and extract from the kingdom and bring it to here on earth so that I can carry your kingdom. Which, by the way, keep these up for a minute. That is the third thing we, we wake up to. We wake up to who God says he is, who God says we are, and what God says our assignment is. Which is simply bringing the kingdom here. Carrying the kingdom ways and pulling them to earth and introducing, representing, or representing Jesus everywhere we go to whoever we see. That is our assignment, is to bring God, to carry, to host his presence. It is no light thing. It is no light thing. It is, it is a glorious calling. And it is not something in the human realm we can do. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. I gotta tell you, my human feet, they just don't wander. They stay within a place that feels good to me. If I'm wandering, I'm already on the edge of faith, okay? But to take me, my feet, further than they could ever wander, okay, we're in the kingdom realm now. We're in the kingdom, we're in the spirit realm now because I can't do it. But guess what? When I do that, my faith will be made stronger because I'm in the presence of my Savior. Why? I'm in the presence of my Savior who resides in the spirit realm. See, there ought not to be such a huge gap between the spirit realm and the human realm as a believer. Because if I'm a believer, I believe. I believe that the spirit realm is as real as anything human I can touch, feel, smell, or anything. And I'll tell you, I, I told Bryn last night, I texted her after her, her prayer. I said, I cried through your whole prayer. She didn't perhaps even know. She texted me back. She goes, wow, I didn't even necessarily know what I said. That's the way of the spirit. You can ne not necessarily even know what you're saying, but, but you can say it. What she described, especially in her particular testimony with the battle going on with Carson and the family that they know, was so profound because she, as she was saying, the excitement that the Lord had given her and woken her up to and that she was excited about, she said, you know, it, it was as if I'm beginning to now act and be and plan in my new self before the healing has arrived. Before the new normal in the human realm is there, I'm now being and acting and responding and doing as if it's there. Do you know how huge that is? 
Do you know that that is the epitome of what God's called us to? He has not called us in this walk of faith, in this challenge of faith. He has not said, wait till you see it right sitting there before you. Yes, I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. But guess what? You better believe that I am preparing the table before you see the table set. Because the reality, the belief that the reality is that I'm doing it is as powerful as when you see it. It's more powerful. Blessed are they who believe who have not seen. That is where the blessing is. That is what he has called ignition to. That is what he's called the bride to. Not everyone is willing to do that. Not everyone is willing to walk and, and open their eyes and come out of sleep. I, I think another thing that why wake up was so significant to me. Have you ever had a day where you're just like, my problems will just kind of be non-existent if I could just pull my head over, you know, you know, my covers over my head. Have you ever felt that way? Like I just, when I can go into that sleep state, I, I, I'm blanking out all the burdens of life. Humanly speaking, we've all been there. It's like, let me just go to sleep. I just feel better if I just sleep. And sleep is needed for the human body. But it's not the place where God wants us in matters of faith. It's not, he doesn't want us re retreating and hiding. He's called us to a place where our trust is without any borders, without anything, so that our faith can be made stronger because we're, we're now residing, we're living in this kingdom realm that, that when scripture says his promises are yes and amen, do you know what that means? Yes and amen means the promises of God, yes, they're true, but amen, they're here, whether I can see them or not. I, I know heaven is there. Heaven is waiting for me. I'm going to finish my little assignment here on earth. It's going to all be about bringing this kingdom. Because guess what? I'm not part of this world anymore. I'm not part of this world. I have let these things go, forgetting those things that are before. I have died to everything that is before. As recent as yesterday, whatever my flesh was involved in yesterday, wherever it failed me, it is dead. It is dead because I crushed it. I crucified it. It is gone. Today I live. Today I live. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I crush and crucify everything and I forget. Not that I don't glean from. It's a forgetting in the sense of I don't reside. I'm not hanging out with part of my carcass that's gone, dead, and buried. It ought to just be behind me. Because I am new. I am renewed. In 1 Corinthians 4, when it talks about, but this light affliction that is but for a moment, works for me. It works for me a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Okay? Because the things that are not seen are more real than the things that are seen. And God's trying to tell us, look, you're going to have some light affliction. In this world, you'll have tribulation. Why? Because I want to give you the opportunity to exercise faith. I want to give you the opportunity to access what is already your reality through the promises of God that you've been adopted into. You've already inherited everything. It's ours. We've inherited it. We just need to believe for it. And with that belief, that's more real. That's more real. So how are you carrying? You know, when I walk and, and we battle, we battle, we grow. It, it, is, it is true. But when I think about what God has called me to, what is my assignment? I want you to look at what encapsulates our assignment. Turn with me real quickly. This scripture is, is powerful. Luke 4. Luke chapter 4. 
love these verses. I love all of them. I don't know. I gotta kiss every page of my Bible because I just love it. And then I got several Bibles. It's a whole lot of kissing. But that's that's my uh, my joke because I truly just love. They're just scriptures that just they're so sweet. They just mean so much to me. But in Luke four, chapter uh, chapter four, verse eighteen, this is Jesus. Okay, he is talking, and he is saying, "The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He hath anointed me to do what? What is His?" What is the assignment that Jesus had? To preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to recover the, the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love that. Back it up one more verse. Good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty, freedom, deliverance to those captive in the strongholds. Okay, that are able to be torn down through the, the weapons that we have in Christ Jesus to recover sight to the blind, to set liberty to, to any level of oppression. You know, in the kingdom, there is purity. But do you know there is health? There is healing. There is abundance. There is blessing. And God's kingdom is available. He says, seek it. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. He will take care. If you look at the verse, that's verse 33 from Matthew 6 that we know. That's our mantra verse for this chapter, for this, uh, this ministry. But if you back up and look at the previous verses in chapter 6, you'll see, why do you worry about everything? Why do you worry about your life? It's like he's saying, why are you living with the fear and the burden of the way this world works? Do, do I not clothe the birds? Do I, have I not Solomon in everything he was given, which was a lot, a lot of wealth, was not arrayed like some of the things that I have done in just my creation and how I provide. So if you seek me first, do you not know that I'll take care of everything? I'll take care of everything. In my kingdom, everything is already taken care of. So it's just a matter of releasing it to you. But yet... We don't believe for the kingdom, so we're staying here and we're living according to the laws of this world, which says I gotta, I gotta hoard, I gotta, I don't have enough time for this. So Lord, I can't give you my time. I can't possibly, I can't possibly put you before my job because you know that I have need of these things. You know I have to work. You know the the difficulty with my boss. You know what loss I that might incur if I take a stand for you against these things. You know there are just ways, God, that things work. And if I do this, I'm going to suffer. And God says, but, but what laws are you living by? Are you living by Satan's kingdom laws? Or are you living by my kingdom laws? Because if you do things according to my kingdom, I have everything that you need. Now, Satan will whisper and will try to give you the identity according to his laws, which are never going to be quite enough. He'll suggest and he'll lie. And by the way, what will empower him? Is agreement. Anytime you agree, you empower the liar. He's emboldened by more lies when we agree. He's looking for agreement on every single turn. You know, when it says that he walks about like a roaring lion, he's just roaring. That's what he's doing. He's not biting. He doesn't have the bite. He has the roar. And the agreement with the roar, the intimidation of the roar, which is smoke and mirrors, honey. It is smoke and mirrors. Because the authority that Jesus has given us, 
we can stand firm. We can stand firm. We can trample and tread on the snakes and scorpions. We can reside in the protection from Psalm 91 that is so beautiful. Oh, go over that again and again and again. That is amazing. But he will enter through agreement and he always is looking for fear. Fear is a sneaky, sneaky one because fear comes in many, many forms. As soon as you don't feel like you have even a little bit of control in your life, you're susceptible to fear. As soon as you don't have control, you don't have your life mapped out. And I'll tell you what, he entered huge into the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees and the scribes and the religious leaders of the day because as soon as that power that Jesus exhibited was beyond what they could understand, fear, you read in the, in the scriptures, it's fear swept over. And fear will have a different effect. The fear on the believers swept over them in awe and wonder and wow, and I want this. They were fearful because they'd never seen it, but they were drawn to it because of their pure hearts. The fear for the other ones came in and turned into a demonic fear. We can't have this. And so naturally, it just flew out of their mouth. This has got to be from a demonic. This has got to be from demons. And then Jesus just kind of was like, okay, how about use some common sense here? You know, why would, it, why would a demon cast itself out? You know, like, try, you're really supposed to be smart here. Use some maybe common sense. I just love Jesus' responses. He just, he was just so smart, quick-witted, always had the best answer, knew what they were thinking. Amazing. But yet, the greatest example, though, that Jesus was is that everything he did, he did not do as God. See, if he had done things as God, it might have been, it, it would have still made us in awe and wonder, like, whoa, whoa, this is still amazing. God, show us more of what your son can do, and this is awesome. But it wouldn't have been something that we would have even begun to attain a, a model for. Jesus was 100% man while being 100% God, but he limited himself to be only what we can be, which is 100% dependent on the Father, on the Spirit of God for everything that we need. We were given the same access that Jesus was given. So there ought to be no difference. God, God gave us a model. He was tempted like as we are, and he was given beautiful fellowship with the Father that we can have through Jesus. He was given miraculous powers that we can have through that bold faith and believing. I mean, what an amazing, amazing model. That's why I love the life of Jesus. It's like, wow, if he did it as God, that'd be one thing. It'd still be awesome. But he did it as man, being fully, fully, fully trusting in God and believing that he was who God said he was. Do you believe this morning, first, that who God is, okay? Man, just just hang out with Genesis 1-1 for just a little bit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just think about that kind of a God. Wow, what? You, you what? Okay, that's pretty huge. That's pretty huge. And then if you really want some detail on Genesis 1-1, Read Psalm 104. That'll just make you weep. I mean, what he, he just, just the beauty of how he created the, the, the creation to be fed and the seasons and the change of seasons and how he pro provides the, the, all of it to go together. You know, the, what comes out of the ground to feed other animals and, and it just, the beauty of his creation all working together to, to exist. And, and live and be provided for in detail. It's like, 
Wow, Psalm 104 is mind-blowing, beautiful. If you want to just get a, a gorgeous picture of God, spend some time there. It's, it's awesome. After you read Psalm 103, because that's fantastic too. But there's just so many of them. All of it, all of it. But I'll tell you what. We cannot afford to have thoughts in our head, any agreement. We cannot afford to have a thought in our head that isn't a thought in God's head about us. If it's something that God thinks about us. Do you know how he, that he thinks about us? In Psalm 139, he's thinking about us. His thoughts are more in number than the sand, Psalm 139 says. They're more in number than the sand. I love that. I love that. And, and, and I'm closing. But I'll tell you what. we got to wake up. we got to wake up. This is why the church is dead. We're not in awe. We're not in awe of who God is. We don't know who we are. And we certainly don't know what in the world we're doing. Because you've got to know those first two things to get your assignment. Do not confuse your destination with your assignment. Just because you've got one down doesn't mean you just sit and you do nothing. We are kingdom carriers. We're part of a family with an inheritance that there is no excuse. If you are given an inheritance of $20 million and you're starving to death, you're just not accessing the money, honey. You're just not accessing the money. It's there. It's there. And yeah, there are people that can sometimes spoon feed you, but that is not the way that God designed it to be. He designed, designed it to be, look, access all the wealth from my kingdom by faith. Exercise this faith, the currency of faith. I've already planted a seed in you. Pure, pure seed that is all faith. That if you, if you work that and you water that well, it will grow and grow and grow into everything that you need it to be. And then everything that my kingdom has, will be yours. That's what makes a church, a bride, a believer, a Christian, appealing to the world who is empty and void and living by these horrible rules of this world. We ought to be kingdom thinkers. That's what a transformed, renewed mind is. It's thinking in the reality of the kingdom of God. And I just, I just pray that over the bride today. Father God, I just praise you. God, I praise you. I, I so desperately in my own life want to just wake up on a greater level to what it is that you have in your kingdom for me, God. I have not seen nor ear heard the things that you have planned for those that love you, God. We love you. We believe you. We seek you, God. And I know that the things that we deal with in this world are meant to make us think that we're stuck playing by these rules, but we're not, God. You've called us higher. You've called us above. You've called us into the kingdom realm that if we seek you there, we will find that nothing in this life will keep us from all the blessings that you provide. God, I just praise you for that. I praise you for that, God. I pray that you wake up the bride, Lord. I know you're you're waking up the remnant. You're waking up those, God, who are seeking you. Those that do hunger and thirst for you, God, because they'll be filled. God, light a fire that shines so bright. Let us be atmosphere changers. Let us be kingdom carriers. Host your presence, God. All this stuff, God, but not just to learn the language, to let it really make us different. That as we walk out, that the word that you've given us today is something that will literally make us be different. Every move.
we make, every gesture, every expression, every reaction, every decision, if we're just different, fundamentally different, because we've let your truth just saturate us, because we're living in the kingdom while we're here on this earth, God. That is how you taught us to pray. That is how you taught us to be. God, I just ask you, Lord, let this word, I just pray that we would receive it with meekness, with humility, God, the engrafted and planted word for today because it's able to save our souls. Not the salvation destination, but the salvation transformation in our sanctification. God, we love you. I praise you in advance for what you're doing. And I give you all the glory and the honor that is due you. In Jesus' name, amen.